Hello, everyone, and welcome to Consumer Watchdog's Rage for Justice Report, our weekly conversation about the current issues we're exposing, confronting, and changing. I'm your host, Carmen Balber, Executive Director of Consumer Watchdog, and my guest today is Dr. Jack Needleman uh, with the UCLA Fielding School of Public Health, the chair of the Department of Health Policy and Management over there. Hi, Jack. Welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here, Carmen. I'd love to have you here. So I invited Jack because it's been a pretty monumental week, and he just did a study that is directly related uh, to some legislation that is happening. On Thursday, uh, the California legislature unanimously passed and sent to Governor Newsom a bill that is a once-in-a-lifetime compromise that would adjust California's cap on medical malpractice damages that has not changed uh, once in the 47 years since it was enacted. And I have to say, it's a pretty uh, amazing and emotional time for me. I've spent every one of the 20-plus years I've been a consumer watchdog working uh, to overturn this law. So it's a moment that's incredibly powerful me, uh, for me and the families uh, that we work with who've been denied accountability and been locked out of the justice system for so long because of this cap. Um, and I, we can talk a little bit more about what that deal would do. I know we've talked about it before on the podcast, but uh, I invited Jack on because he just published an analysis that um, highlights the fact that updating the cap will not only expand access to justice, which is so important, but it's also likely to reduce medical errors in California and result in really significant savings to the state. So Jack, um, let's start with the basics. Tell us about your study. Okay, well, uh, the, but before I start on sure. the study, uh, let me begin with uh, a little history about malpractice because the, the micro, micro uh, legislation that created the $250,000 cap in 1975, the cap which has not been updated, uh, came at a time when there was a lot of concern about malpractice. But the concerns about malpractice were about uh, unjustified suits, rising malpractice premiums, uh, concern that physicians were going to either stop practicing, leave practice because of high malpractice, or discriminate against patients that they thought would be uh, likely to sue them for malpractice. Right. Um, and uh, also that uh, healthcare costs were being raised by malpractice because, uh, by malpractice, threat of malpractice suits because of defensive medicine. What was missing in all of those discussions was any sense that the malpractice suits uh, were encouraging people to practice medicine more safely with fewer errors. And the reason for that was there was a belief that the, it, it, back in 1975, 1976, when I first started working on these issues, that uh, the, uh, that the, the deterrent effect of malpractice suits was minimal. Uh, close to zero because they were so diffuse, they were so random, uh, many were without merit, that there was no clear signal about improving quality of care uh, to keep malpractice from happening. Uh, and that was the context and environment in which this legislation was passed in 1975. Uh, what we have seen in the decades since are efforts to really try to get a handle on whether or not there is a deterrent effect Whether that was from true. malpractice. 
whether it was true. Um, and uh, in the paper, I, I, I review the literature that has explored this, identified uh, what I consider the best study to look at the deterrent effect and the impact of caps on deterrence, um, and uh, conclude that the, the initial belief that there was no deterrent effect of, of malpractice on, uh, uh, on medical errors on improving care is wrong. That the, the best of the, the papers that have been produced, which look specifically at the introduction of caps in five states, uh, found a 16% increase in adverse events towards patients that uh, around a broad range of 20 different kinds of adverse events that were measured in that study. That's a, a pretty strong evidence that uh, deterrence is there a and that raising the cap would increase focus on uh, taking actions to improve the quality of medicine and reduce medical error. And I, I, and I find that, you know, extra compelling because they were looking at data uh, the, called the patient safety indicators, which essentially is a new way to gauge um, uh, medical errors or uh, medical mistakes that shouldn't be happening in a hospital, you know, medication errors, what have you, that just simply data that wasn't available, that we weren't tracking, that we weren't paying attention to all the way back in 1975 when this cap was enacted in California. Uh, back in 1975, we didn't have access to this data right. or anything like it. Um, one of, uh, as a researcher, as somebody who's worked with the data that the that the researchers for this paper used, uh, it is amazing the range of of informative analyses that can be constructed with publicly available, publicly supported data sets like the hospital discharge data sets that were the basis for uh, the analysis of the patient safety indicators. Okay, so you took that study and you applied it to California. Took that study and applied it to California. Uh, uh, it, it's a, a, we don't have all the data. The, the data in theory is available to completely replicate their analysis and apply it to uh, take 16, reduce the medical errors or the adverse events that they studied by 16%. Uh, we, I didn't have that access to that data. It's available at some point. I would love to do that study, but what we did have was data from Medi-Cal and we didn't have complete data from Medi-Cal. What we had was data on what's called never events. These are the events that there's no gray area here. This simply should not happen. And in a well-functioning healthcare system, this event would not happen. It includes, you know, the most aggressive kinds of never events you can imagine are things like cutting the wrong kidney out or cutting the wrong arm off, uh, wrong site surgery. Uh, but there are many, many other kinds of things, uh, uh, blood transfusions that are uh, incorrectly typed, uh, some kinds of pressure ulcers, which can lead to severe, uh, severe problems uh, including uh, if the infection from a pressure also gets bad enough death. Uh, and uh, other kinds of examples like that. Uh, so what we asked the, the, the med state Medicaid agency, the Medi-Cal folks to, to do, was just give us a count of how many of those 
how many claims had one of those uh, never events, uh, and how much was charged for them? How much did you reimburse for them? And when we when we added those up, um, there were in the fee for service medical, which is a little under half the program, about eight hundred million dollars in uh, charges for uh, services with never events. Um, and uh, if we if we project that to the the managed care side of of Medi-Cal, it means 1.5 billion. And if you take 16 percent of that, uh, not the most precise measure, but given that we haven't got all the other measures of medical errors or adverse events in Medi-Cal in this analysis, just taking 16 percent of that 1.5 billion is is 245 million dollars. That's a lot of money. Separate apart from the the deterrent effect, uh, the protection of patients from medical error, that's a lot of money for the state to, to spend out for, for in cases that um, have errors in, in the delivery of care. And so just to put a fine point on it, that's an estimate of how much could be saved in California if we got rid of this cap or adjusted it to some uh, more reasonable level by preventing medical errors, which of course means we don't have to pay for the health care to correct those medical errors. And this is just for Medi-Cal, which is about a third That's of the state's population. Right. That's Huge correct. savings. Huge savings yes. that uh, money that uh, money that never really got uh, calculated into the conversation when everybody was talking about, well, how much is the malpractice system costing doctors? This is the flip side. How much is the malpractice system costing us as taxpayers? Because we, of course, pay for Medi-Cal and costing the people uh, who these medical injuries happen to. That's exactly right. I could not say it better. So um, there are other things that we didn't talk about, uh, uh, that you didn't talk about in this uh, in this study, Jack, about um, the costs of medical errors to the state. And we would certainly point to um, simply the cost, you know, you can extrapolate the potential savings to Medi-Cal that you identified to the rest of the private healthcare system. And if we were reducing uh, adverse events in Medi-Cal by 16% and it resulted in this, you know, $245 million in potential savings annually. You can expand that to the other two-thirds of the state that gets private insurance in some way, uh, shape, or form, and really see the, you know, we're inching up toward closer to the billion-dollar mark in potential savings annually if we just reduce the amount of harm that's happening to families. So, I, you know, this is kind of a first, first of its kind analysis to put a number on those savings. So really exciting that this report is out at this time, Jack. More yes, and even more broadly, I think the issue of malpractice reform uh, needs to be put in the context of improving healthcare quality. Healthcare quality is not where it needs to be. Um, there are lots of programs and efforts to encourage improvement in quality. I think uh, raising the malpractice cap provides additional incentive, but the tech the the techniques and methods for improving quality. Are, uh, are now reasonably well established. They're hard to implement sometimes. Uh, quality is hard to, to improve, but it's doable. And we need all the incentives for improving it that we, that we can create. And changing the malpractice cap is certainly one of those changes we can make that will improve the incentives. 
So uh, for our listeners who haven't heard any of our uh, earlier podcasts about this, the legislation that was just passed out of the legislature and is now on its way to Governor Newsom would update the cap finally after these many, many decades uh, by increasing it to sorry, $350,000 next year for injury cases and $500,000 for wrongful death cases, and then continue those increases annually until within 10 years, the cap reaches $750,000 in injury cases and a million dollars in wrongful death cases. Then every year thereafter, the cap would go up another 2% for inflation. So we never again get stuck in amber with a dollar amount like we have today. Um, the compromise deal would also allow for the potential of up to three caps uh, per patient um, if, for example, a provider and a facility like a hospital and an unaffiliated uh, provider were also connected to the case. So uh, what that does is simply opens up access to the justice system that this extremely low cap of $250,000, which is one of the three lowest in the country, has, um, closed, uh, has closed the option for for so many patients. So those are the changes that are on the table. Right, and, and in terms of, of more broader healthcare issues, major equity issues and who the cap affected. Uh, the folks most likely to be affected by the cap, least likely to be able to successfully sue uh, because it was hard to get a lawyer given the cap and the likely payments were those who were old, poor, uh, out of the workforce, uh, racial minorities, uh, so the the improvement of the cap also has important issues for uh, equitable access to the justice system. Absolutely. If you were a well-off CEO, you were going to find an attorney. If you were an office worker, if you were a child, much, much less likely to find that attorney because your case was capped and it was financially inconceivable uh, to take one of these cases to court. So. Uh, big changes in the works. Thanks so much for, for telling us about the study, Jack. It's a, it's a big deal, and I hope it helps us uh, finalize this deal with the governor's signature in the next uh, couple weeks. I hope so, too. Lovely to talk with you. We really appreciate your time. So thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, thanks to Jack for this important research. Um, anyone who wants to learn more can always go to our website, consumerwatchdog.org. You can find a link to Jack's study. You can find a link to more information about the update to the malpractice cap that we expect to be coming soon. And as always, remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Carmen Balber, and this has been the Rage for Justice Report. 